Robins on the Wire, a Bristol Post podcast with Michelle Owen and Bristol City reporter Gregor McGregor. Welcome to another episode of Robins on the Wire, episode 101. We're going to tackle two games this week, plus a load of transfer information and some loan news as well as we head towards the January transfer market. But we're going to start by tackling the Forest draw at the weekend. I'm joined by James Piercy, the sports editor for Bristol Live, and he watched the game with myself at the weekend as uh, the Robins drew nil-nil with Forest. James, if I could start by asking you... How damaging was the nil-nil? Do you, in terms of, do you think that, that City really had to score against a team with only 10 men for effectively 40 minutes of the game? Well, I think the problem was because they didn't beat Forrest, it, it became they had to get something from West. Well, not that they had to in the grand scheme, but I just think psychologically there was a feeling if you don't get points in one game, you need points in the other. I didn't actually think they played that badly against Forrest. I thought they came up against a very, very good defensive team and as we know City's strengths don't lie in their attacking play and unfortunately that was kind of you know played out in the game whereby they were struggling to sort of break Forrest down because Forrest is so good at the back opened it up a bit towards the end obviously with the, with the red card and Eliasson coming on but in the end yeah, I think I said to you it, it, it reeked of a nil-nil uh, before the start of the game um, and I, I think that just put a bit more pressure maybe on the players maybe on the club maybe a a bit more expectation on the fans perhaps to to getting away from how good West Brom are the the need then to get something at the Hawthorns which was always going to be difficult Um, I think you know they they possibly could have beaten Forest um, but it's the the kind of the 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 classic issue with Lee Johnson City um, which has obviously been been, been going on for a while now in terms of do they have that kind of individual panache really in games where they're not quite there in the final third to to fashion a goal out of nothing and they don't quite have that Yeah, my one criticism really of of Lee Johnson is the tactics at home I just wonder if they really do need to employ that five at the back system which means you've always got obviously three centre backs, two wing backs and some people have said to me is the quality there in the wing back positions to make the most of that formation at home, a lot of people questioning the crossing ability of of Rowe and Pereira in that game and yeah I would have liked personally to have seen 4-4-2, Nicholas Eliason and Casey Palmer in there, obviously those two guys probably City's chief creative weapons in midfield and yeah we didn't see too many chances did we at the weekend oh no there wasn't a shot on target was there I mean the the other issue is and again I know the way this sort of the spin is against the, the the head coach but you've got to look at the opposition as well and what they offer and a lot of Forrest, what Forrest have got you know in terms of you know Joe Lolly's outstanding individual on the wing you've got to be conscious of that um, and whether or not Tommy Rowe on his own as a left back is enough to stop Lolly. Perhaps that was a consideration. That's why you play the wing backs. That's why you have a left-sided centre back as a cover defender. I think that comes into it as well in terms of in terms of his selection. Um, the, you know the, the the wing backs, West Brom aside, does does seem to work better away from home. But we've also got to remember what the opposition do at home, and it's becoming increasingly apparent to the point that everybody recognises it now that clubs know they can come to, to, to Ashton Gate and they do sit back to, to an extent because they know City aren't yet that team 
who like having a lot of possession and can have that penetration with that possession. They have penetration when they're playing on the counter in kind of transition, but when they're on the ball, when they're moving it around, they still haven't quite got it to, to, to break teams down. And especially a side like Forrest, who, as, as I've said already, are very good defensively, so they have that confidence with themselves to have the two blocks and, mm. and just say to teams, look, come and play through us, and they couldn't do that. Yeah, I... I picked out Pedro Pereira as a man who stood out for me and I thought he was very good. He was also picked out as the sponsor's man of the match. But I did get a bit of heat on social media afterwards yeah. from fans saying, oh, his crossing was off the target. Well, there was that one at the so, end that went miles into the stands where yeah. he got laid back by Eliasson. And unfortunately, you always remember the most recent one rather than the kind of ones before. But with, and not that that should say whether or not he's man of the match, but I thought he had a pretty solid game as well. You've got to remember with him, obviously, he's incredibly young as well. He's going to have sort of up and downs, not just in terms of game to game, but in matches. It's not going to be a polished performance from 0 to 90, really. Obviously, um, Jack Hunt's not ready yet. He's clearly not fit. So he is the only option, unless you, unless you start thinking about, you know, Taylor Moore, who again's injured. He could play right back, I guess. But as a right wing back, that's really all they've got at the moment. Yeah, unfortunately continuing story that there were players missing obviously Thomas Callis and Taylor Moore both missing for that game and uh, we'll, we'll come on to those guys a little bit actually discussing the West Brom defeat but yeah I just want to mention obviously the big chances in that game were Rodri um, with his overhead kick could have mm. been a, a star if that one goes in and, and Rowe and I actually thought Rowe was going to take that chance the, the back post cross I think I can't remember who slung that one over might have been Pereira might have been Eliasson but yeah I really thought Rowe steaming in at the back post seen it a couple of times this season obviously uh, the Birmingham away game thought he was going to score that one but yeah, they couldn't take those chances, could they? And um, yeah, I, the other thing I wondered was Vyman and uh, O'Dowda both had great positions in the box, but didn't shoot when they were basically okay a narrowing angle, but in but pretty close to goal. And I just wondered if that betrayed a little bit of the confidence of the team in that they Possibly. both tried to cross it. Obviously, Vyman's cross come shot eventually hit a defender and then off the post, whereas. Um, O'Dowda for me he's got to be shooting from that position in the first half I think that one's kind of been forgotten a little about a little bit but yeah so overall how would you how would you rate that performance I, I thought it was okay I mean you know they they could probably uh, maybe they played play that game twice and it will finish nil-nil but I mean you know Forest are Forest a really good side yeah. I was impressed by them very good you don't you don't really notice a sort of a defensive a team's defensive capabilities sometimes, and hence why you always kind of criticise the faults of the attacking side. But I just thought they were so solid. There's some really good players there. Matty Cash and Joe Warrell are probably going to be playing for Premier League football very soon. Um, nice, so, nice balance to their team. Yeah, there's a bit of balance. And, and, and Amiobi, very unorthodox style, is what Lee Johnson said after the game. And he's, yeah. he's very athletic, tough to get the and, ball off. And we, you know, we said about Joe Lolly, he didn't actually have a particularly good game. No. Um, obviously, the, the sort of being reduced to 10 came into that because he had to then retreat a bit and defend. But, you know, Forrest, Forrest are a good side. I don't think a point at home... It's not ideal and it's not what was wanted, but I don't think it's a particularly it's poor result. Absolutely, completely agree. Let's move on then to, um, first of all, hear what Lee Johnson made of the game. Uh, he was talking to Richard Latham at the beginning here, uh, followed by myself. Uh, An opportunity lost, would you say? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, I do think they're a very good side. I think uh, first half... You could see the game plan, if you like, of theirs was to sit in and frustrate. And we had to take the ball. Um, I thought 
we got into some good areas and uh, both first half and second half and then didn't test the goalkeeper anywhere near enough um, second half started bright tweaked a few things tactically at half time and it worked and um, our build up play was good uh, again coming over into that final third we must have had sort of 40-50 entries in the second half and at that point it was then disappointing whether that be the, the actual end delivery or the referee allowing for, on five occasions given a foul and when at half time we mentioned the, the referee likes giving the fouls and he's very inconsistent in giving the fouls and of course that lets them off the hook um, with a dead ball situation so um I thought the subs were good when they came on and affected the game. Obviously, Nicholas looked bright and sharp, but six or seven sort of decent crosses in that we just couldn't quite get on the end of. And then there's two fantastic opportunities, really. Rowe's one at the far post, and then Rodri three yards out to, to make a good connection and score. So I think if that one of those two go in... I think we're all feeling a lot different, if you know what I mean, in terms of how the performance was. Because I think individually, um, the boys played well. I think tactically, uh, they were good. And um, and there's not too many negatives apart from that bit of quality. And unfortunately, it's a little bit where we are at the moment. Um, but we're still a new group, 15, 16 games in, 17 games I think now. Um, and and performing well against a very good established championship side. I didn't know. I didn't see it. I mean, they, they looked back on the clips. They, they said it was a uh, a bad one, though. Like the, it was from, the players from that from the the panel. Yeah, no, not the players. The analysts. When I asked the analyst, said, "Yeah, it was a, it was an old-fashioned two-footer." Two-footer. Yeah, that I don't even know who it was on. Who was it on? Uh, Rob, um, Nash. Nash. Was it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, defensively, not not so bad. They had great chance with Robin there at the end when there was a couple of mistakes. And he just well, it's a foul. It's a foul. It's yeah. like the ball goes in, and this is what I'm saying: consistency of the referees. Baker gets <coughs> poleaxed from behind him, which leads to he can't clear it properly because he gets a forearm in the back back of the neck, and then all of a sudden they have a chance. Mm. So again, you look at you've got to look at the. I mean, I just. They always used to say that Premier League referees dropping down are always. Ah, oh, it's horrible. Oh, I'm not going to. There's a particular word that I want to use, but I'm not because it'll end up costing me. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you have found if you found that in your career, that it's not great news. Yeah, it's, Premier League. It's it's show, who's, the, who's the show about? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Is it, exactly. It's exactly. like. So don't want to get you into trouble. Yeah. That's, that's, that's fine. So, so overall, happy, happy enough with the performance. Probably, probably the end product would be the worst. Yeah, it's definitely the end product. <coughs> the areas we got into, the the way we slickly moved from box to box, particularly when they had ten men, was good. I don't think people realise how good a side they are, and that and that's we do. You know what I mean in terms of the analysis that we do. Yes, we're at home, um, but we were constantly trying to. To break them down, we didn't always execute. You know, Baker's difference having Webster because Baker's an out-and-out defender, and Webster drives through gaps and steps into midfield. So when they sit off here, nobody really likes to see the three centre halves having the ball. But I thought Baker was excellent in his decision making um, and, and the way he played. So yeah, I, honestly, individually, I cannot grumble with 95% of each of the players' performance. It's just that that end bit of quality that we see like last week for example how it change changes championship games and uh, 
and such is life. You're getting players back, but there were one or two missing again today. Have, have you suffered yeah. any new injuries? Yeah, um, Taylor Moore has had a has had a scan on his knee. Um, hopefully, it's not too bad. It could just be like bone bruising, but he has got to have it assessed. He's just getting swelling on the knee, and when you're getting swelling on the knee at 22, uh, I don't want to risk it. You know what I mean? He's a, he's got a bright future ahead of him. He's done extremely well. He is due to go back. Um, I think Monday maybe and see uh, with our physios and discuss the scan result and uh, see if there's any exploratory work needs to be done or whether he can continue but he did train yesterday um, but obviously the, the knee and the fluid just, just stuck in there and it's, uh, it's just not it's not worth it for a 22 year old you know when it's not a cup final Callas has got a uh, tendonitis issue that has been long standing really and again another um Byproduct of international training regimes, you know. I, don't, I think Callas got to be stronger. He, he played, he trained, he played on the Sunday and trained fully on the Monday. Uh, they didn't have a gym, and with a tendonitis issue on the knee, you need to load the knee. And he's got a regular loading program um, back at home and with us. So again, it's disappointing. It's lesson learnt really for Thomas himself. Um, because he doesn't want to be missing games, particularly when he's got players like uh, Bailey Wright and Taylor Moore um, in those positions. You're saying he should have challenged the international manager not to... Not to... Well, he shouldn't have trained. There's no doubt he shouldn't have trained. His match day plus one should have been a recovery day. Um, and and he decided to, or they didn't uh, care enough, if you like, to let him not train because our game was on the Sunday. Obviously, probably most people that played there so played on Saturday. Complaint about that, or can you? Well, it's, listen, it's up to my sports science team to communicate on a regular basis with, with them. It's not up to me um, to, to speak to the doctors and the sports science team, but the player has a level of responsibility as well. Um, and, and sometimes I think Thomas thinks he's Superman, and uh, and he's got a... He's got to think smart, really, to extend his career so he can play till he's 37, 38. So just find if Forest, you'd, you'd expect them to be strong challengers. Yeah, I think they'd be strong. It's, again, yeah. there's big money been spent. You know, they've got a lot of players. They're very organised. Yeah, they're, they're a good side. What do you make of Bailey Wright's return to the... <coughs> Yeah, good. I thought he was uh, nice and solid. Obviously aggressive. His communication was good. Um, he was simple and effective on the ball and defended extremely well. Obviously, Amiobi's difficult player, sort of unorthodox in his style, and uh, and he comes quite narrow quite often. And uh, Bailey Wright had to stand up to the challenge physically, technically, and um, like I think sometimes Bailey Wright gets a little bit of unfair criticism from the. In the support base and uh, let me tell you he's one of the best professionals I've worked with um, the best captain I've worked with and um, and certainly uh, it's good to see him uh, in mind and body extremely fit he's not going anywhere in January just because some of the fans would say oh he's not going <coughs> for months now he, he, might, he might be one of the guys that... I think it's, it's Bailey's task of course to, to get in the team keep his body right for a sustained period and then, um, and then, and then keep the shirt. You know, he's captain of the football club, so uh, there's every chance of doing that. But of course, we've got to get results uh, and get wins, and that's what becomes important. And if we need to open it up and attack um, in a different way, if you like, from different angles, then sometimes it's better to have a different attribute um, in those type of positions.
and you brought Van back in uh, I guess the ball just didn't really fall for him in the box I thought he was excellent in his hold up play first half very very good um, we're definitely getting stronger likes of Bailey back physically and mentally and Corey Smith and Jay not too far away Callas it isn't a bad one so you know what I mean he would have played probably if it was a cup final hopefully Taylor Moore won't be too bad we're not going to be able to do a lot about the Benick situation of course um, but no it's, there's a lot of positives you know that's another good point in terms of there'll be a lot of people struggle to uh, to get point yes we wanted to win the game I think that was clear from the substitutions and, and the boys attitude um, but we just let him on the, off the hook two or three too many times. Just on fam, he scored that hat trick, didn't he, last week? Yeah. Last weekend on the Sunday. Um, he wasn't affected by the, the whole pasta situation that took place. Uh, I don't know, I didn't speak to him about it actually. I did read a glimpse of something online um, about that, but no, uh, yeah, he hasn't, I didn't, he hasn't mentioned it, no. You see, I'm sure you work on it all the time in training, but he still doesn't get in front of people. For me, and the license yeah. are in all these crosses, yeah. and he's behind his man. So, yeah, what I mean, look, he, he would argue, and we would argue that the goal scored uh, where he got across his man from a license cross a couple of home games ago um, was what we want as much as possible, you know. And I think getting across the near post is something that we've really tried to introduce um, this year. And uh, like that focus on somebody, it doesn't matter who it is, getting across the near post. And, and Famara is good at getting across people, but um, look, he, I thought the boys were brilliant today, considering most of, most of them arrived back like Thursday, Thursday afternoon. You know what I mean? That's uh, yeah, one day working with them properly. You know what I mean? And, and then all of a sudden you sling them into what is a difficult championship game and, and nobody looked like they were struggling with fatigue or concentration or team cohesion and uh, that's a difficult thing it's a good thing that we've got so many internationals but a difficult thing because you lose them for that sort of 14, 13, 12, 13 day period So that was Lee Johnson there discussing the nil-nil draw against Forest. We're going to quickly round up some news stories that we've had on the site this week because uh, a few of them relate to January. And James, you had a, a cracking exclusive this week about Jamie Patterson. Uh, what have you heard and uh, why is that important? <laughs> well, um, Pato, well, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's like he kind of, I think it was a surprise when he left the club um, on deadline day. It was on deadline day, wasn't it? It was the day before. Yeah, deadline was, day, was deadline yeah, with Marlon Patterson. You know, two, two kind of stalwarts of the dressing room, Marlon, obviously a bit more. But Patterson has been that kind of almost like, you know, the joker in the in the pack, so to speak. I guess you could say that in terms of his playing style as well when he comes on. I think it was a bit of a surprise because he was seen as a bit of a Lee Johnson favourite in terms of how he likes to try and change a game, likes to open up teams. Funnily enough, the sort of player if you do play him in the you do give him the ball in the final third you could you can sort of create something but anyway and then of all places he goes he goes to derby which i'm sure was you know quite embarrassing and a bit of a surprise for him but it, you know it hasn't really worked out i think if you speak to derby fans some say he's been okay some say he hasn't been that great so it's kind of a bit of a mixed view um and all, all, all signals are you know as as we reported that basically derby are kind of well aware that come january when when rooney is registered as a player, um, Patterson's going to kind of fall further further down the pecking order and, and he himself um, isn't exactly um, particularly settled 
in the area in the Derby team. I think it's five starts, five substitute appearances. Um, you know, they haven't really Philip Cocu, mm. who I'm amazed if Philip Cocu had any idea. No offense to Jamie Patterson, but I'd be surprised if Philip Cocu knew who he was He's before been he arrived. Training for years. Well, exactly. I mean, it, it was yeah. just an odd transfer. It was just an odd transfer, and it, and it hasn't worked out. And then consequently, he's open to, to coming back. And I think Derby are open to, 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 to terminating the loan in January. And I think it will probably be a move that suits all parties. Mm. Yeah, the one interesting aspect here is that he played those 27 minutes at the beginning, beginning of the season against Leeds, I think. So that means that he can't play for a third club. So mm. he can't go, if he does come back to Ashton Gate, as we were expecting in January, he can't then go out on loan to another club. They, he would have... Could he be sold? He can be that? sold, but obviously he can't play. Right. So it would be a strange decision. I mean, Unless the interesting thing... Scotland? No, even this, <laughs> even the FIFA rules, right, yeah, even if he goes to New Zealand, he can't play. But um, <laughs> what, what I find interesting with Patterson, because there was a comment from Johnson right at the back end of the, uh, back end of the transfer window, when he talked about players who are perhaps feeling a bit too settled, a bit too comfortable, would have to be moved on. And then within the space of about 24, 48 hours, Jamie Patterson was one of those players who got moved on. So I do wonder if this Derby move has been a kind of a bit of a wake-up call for him, that he was a bit too settled, a bit too kind of fit into this. I'll, play tw- I'll start 20 to 25 games a season, another 10 off the bench, four or five assists, couple of goals, that's me done. He had a nice, you know, he's got a nice contract for another 18 months. Hopefully this will be a bit of a sort of a kick out the backside and when he comes back he'll know that his place at Bristol City isn't quite as settled as perhaps he thought. It's a very good point and also adding to that is the story that's already in the public domain here. We reported on, I can't, can't remember if it was this year or probably a year ago that Jamie Patterson had dropped something into the players' WhatsApp group that he shouldn't have done. Lee Johnson is on record uh, talking about this and he was actually uh, dropped from the playing squad for a couple of games as a result of this. I just wonder if that kind of thing is playing, yeah, it all ties into what you were saying there about the culture of the squad and everything. Yeah, so maybe I think there has, been, there has been some tension between, uh, between Lee Johnson and, and Jamie Patterson in terms of um, maybe what he wants him to do on the pitch, his kind of general, um, I don't want to say attitude because that's a bit strong, but just kind of the demeanour um, around the club. And I do think that perhaps player and coach haven't quite seen eye to eye over pre-season and, and, and preceding that. But you'd like to think there's been a, you know, and, and Lee, he always talks him up, doesn't he, when we ask him. He always talks him up because he knows what he can do and how good he can be as a championship kind of playmaker. And you do hope if he come, when he comes back that there is this kind of plan to use him down the, down the stretch of the season because he clearly can bring something. Now, how he gets into the team, that's a debate for a different day, but clearly... As an individual, he's a good guy to have in the squad. Mm, yeah, anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a long while will know that I am a fully paid-up member of the Jamie Patson fan club. So, of course, I believe he can still add something to this squad and he could add that bit of experience when needed um, towards the back end of the season. But we'll have to see about that. So that's one for January. Another possible one is just let's talk very briefly about Eddie Nketiah. And Pete O'Rourke, who I think everybody recognises, doesn't get too many transfer stories wrong. And he's been reporting this week that Enketia is expected to be recalled 
by Arsenal and we understand that there's still interest from Bristol City in the striker. So, yeah, that, that looks like it, it could be a possible one. In well, I mean, minutes. you know, Lee Johnson said in September, I mean, they, 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 they put so much work into trying to get Nketiah this summer. So much work, so much effort, so many man hours in trying to get him through the door. Um, you know, as we reported extensively at the time, there's a genuine feeling within the club. It was, a, it was, it was done. And then Leeds came in and, and kind of nicked it um, almost through the age-old sort of personal relationships in terms of Victor Orta's friendship with, with Unai Emery. But clearly, unless something drastically changes in the next month, it's been a loan move that really hasn't worked out for Leeds, hasn't worked out for Nketiah, and of course it hasn't worked out for Arsenal. Now, obviously, from, from Arsenal's point of view, they won who is potentially their best young player to be getting okay he scored goals Leeds fans always oh, scored all these goals it doesn't matter it's about minutes and it's about opportunities and it's about experience at a level of football he hasn't played and he's, he hasn't been getting that and unless Patrick Bamford suffers you know touch wood for him some kind of you know season threatening injury there's just no route for him back into the team because Bielsa is moulded wedded to this, this to this one up front so the opportunities are going to be few and far between Clearly, Arsenal will be very, very close to considering bringing him back in January. The un, you know the, the, all the noise coming out of North London is that is definite option for them. And then, obviously, I mean, you don't have to you know you join in the dots. City still need a striker. They tried to get him, should have got him, could have got him. You know, Arsenal off you know off the record will probably be still regretting sending him up to Leeds. It all makes sense. The only slight kind of um, subplot to this is obviously if Unai Emery loses his job another manager comes in and then has some ideas where he sees Nketi a part of that future so that's one to, 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 to obviously stay there but I think we're going to be talking about Eddie Nketi quite a bit for the next few weeks put it that way Absolutely yeah one to maybe not quite get excited about just yet but certainly if Arsenal recalled him then definitely do and maybe it's worth pointing out at this point that we're, we're starting to hear a few rumours about the January transfer window and obviously we'll be reporting everything we hear on the website so do keep in touch with all the latest stories on there but also just to just to add in that I think from our point of view what we're hearing at the moment is that there could be some possible loans outgoing and there might be some players coming in I think Lee Johnson hinted heavily I don't think I mentioned this in the last podcast but he hinted very heavily following the Cardiff game that he's looking to add one or two players in the January transfer window that's that's probably his plan maybe just find that little bit of X factor bit of quality in the final third that, that might make the difference on the run in this season so we'll certainly be keeping an eye on that and just tying into this maybe this is a good place to mention James that you went to speak to Mark Ashton the CEO of Bristol City this week how was he what was his office like, by the way? Because did he... I think you went into the office, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Mark um, had spent some time with Mark and it was... Um, yeah. Transfer targets on the wall. Yes, yeah, so as I walked in, they hurriedly turned off the screen on his wall because there was a list of transfer targets on the wall. So I was kind of edging towards the remote um, constantly. No, 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 it was, it was, it was a good conversation. Uh, we kind of covered lots of topics. Uh, which you'll be able to read all about on uh, Bristol Live over the coming days. Um discussed his relationship with Lee Johnson. Um, some interesting thing, actually, when he talks about 
because I didn't realise they arrived at the club. You know, it was literally a matter of two weeks. Um, and Mark Ashton interviewed Johnson, and he talks about his interview with Lee Johnson, how impressed he was speaking to Steve Lansdowne, the process of getting Lee Johnson in. You know how their how their relationship has developed. How, in many ways, as a CEO and manager, they're quite unique in the EFL. I mean, he even said that Premier League clubs are often kind of astounded about how well City work on the pitch and off the pitch and how that kind of all comes together. There's lots of that. Um, obviously, we talked about the January transfer window, what's likely to happen, the difficulties of the January transfer window, which was quite interesting. Um, I know everybody kind of thinks, well, oh, let's just chuck £15 million on this player X and everything will be okay. But obviously, it's not quite as straightforward as that. And few clubs actually do that, do that and they don't do that for a very good reason. Um, a bit on contracts, um, which we've kind of already published, and there was lots of other stuff as well in terms of his role in the EFL, financial fair play, um, the Bristol City women's team, um, and then uh, talk about you know the young players coming through, Hanno Masengo. I mean, the mid sort of amount of times that Masengo was mentioned, I mean, it just sort of shows you how valued he is at the club, but there was a few other players thrown in there. So, you know, I'd like to think there was lots covered. Um, it's, it wasn't quite a... Do you want to sign this player? No, no it wasn't yeah. quite that, but it was a, you know a good conversation, and, and you know we'll we'll we'll, we'll get yeah. to hear a bit. So we're going to um, give you a little sample of that converse, um, conversation here. Here's ten minutes from the interview, and we're going to split it into two parts, and we'll have the second part next week in episode 102 of Robins on the Wire. So here's James talking to Mark Ashton uh, for ten minutes this week. How would you grade this season out of ten so far? Looking at the seasons you've been in the club, so. God. Out of ten, sorry, yeah. And maybe not just performances, but just, you know, the club and how everything's functioning. Um, good question. Um, I, I'll try, I do try. That's a good thing, yeah. We, look, people ask me what our plans and our aspirations are, let me start there. And... It's quite dull and boring, but I talk about progression. And if you look at all of the clubs I've been at in my past, they've all got promoted. Every single one. That is my my expertise. Mm. How do we take something and build it and take it from good to great? And to do that, you've got to develop it both on and off the pitch. You can't do it in isolation. So each season that I've been here, I talk about I, but it's really the we, because Lee's been here within 14, 15 days of me, um, and the staff that surround us. Um, it's been about progression, um, because my, my, my model, and I have a specific model of how I operate each of the clubs that mm. I've been at, and although each one's slightly different, the core is, is just the same. Mm. And it's based on progression, because if you keep progressing at the rate we are, ultimately, we'll be promoted but I can't tell you when. Mm. And the reason I can't tell you when is because this industry is unlike any other business. So I can't guarantee you that we're not going to get three injuries, mm. that there but the width of a post we score, that we don't get a bad refereeing decision, mm -hmm. we drop out of form, etc. But the theory always is progression, and that's progression off the pitch, and that's progression on the pitch. So if you're talking about this season specifically, we'd had two seasons of progression mm. be before this season. Um, and we have a model which is 
really interesting because I think a lot of the clubs are now looking at what we're doing mm. and going, you've just released your accounts, how have you done that? Mm. And you've got better um, and you're being consistent in what, what you're doing. Um, so this is the start of the season when we, when we, to be honest with you, it started for me before the season had finished last Previous, season. Okay. Last season. Um, I had I got we'd had a good season tough season we are there or thereabouts and I think the bit that probably hit me at the end of last season was when we lost to Derby at home okay yeah so with the Semenya red and yeah and it was just <laughs> a lot of players said that yeah so. it was a, I think for me personally it was a pivotal point mm-hmm. um and at that point, I went right. I'm not waiting. Mm. How are we getting better? How are we get? How are we getting better? And whether it's right or wrong, this lot will tell you because they tell me off. Mm. I literally haven't had a day off since that day, um, and that's fine because that's that's my choice and that's what I do. But I'm driven in getting us better from that point. Mm. So we went into the summer. Lee and I sit down. We have an initial conversation with Steve about what our objectives are for next season, what the finances look like, and from that, Lee and I construct a plan, um, and that includes off the pitch and on the pitch. That inevitably led to some changes staffing-wise off the pitch, mm-hmm. and it led to some player trading on the pitch. But everything we do is geared to getting us better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we have got better, and I think a testament to everyone in the club, and Lee and his staff in particular, is that we had a summer of circa 13 mm. ins, nine outs, mm. a raft of new contracts. Um, we, we were happy with the squad. We knew the sale of a couple of players late was meant we might be slow out the blocks, which you saw against Leeds. Mm. But then we hit injuries, and injuries that no one no, could have forecasted. forecasted. But the underbelly, if you like to call them that, that we've recruited have stepped in mm-hmm. and done exactly what we recruited them to do and what Lee had the pre-season. So whether that's Tommy Rowe, whether that's Pereira, whether that's Taylor Moore, whether that's Hanoa, they've come in and delivered because we're right in contention and now we have our more experienced our bigger signings coming back we've got to fight to get back in that team mm, and I think Lee and his staff should take a huge credit for making sure that not only was that first 11 ready yeah. but that under as a squad was, was, was also ready so oh my god you're asking me to put a number on it bloody <laughs> hell I mean, relatively speaking to last season, at this stage last season, for example, because of, how many points is it? Five points ahead that you were yeah, last season? Yeah, we're... Uh, might be more than that, actually. Seven points. Seven, seven points, points. Yeah, yeah. last year, 22, 30. I mean, uh, you don't have to put a number on it, it's just yeah. a question, but, you know, exactly. just, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely I curious. think we're better. Yeah. I think we've improved, and... What, what, has there been a specific improvement you talk a, you talk about that squad the fact that the squad players have stepped up to hide would that be like a, the, the one specific improvement that you could 
start with off the pitch first. Yeah. I think ev- where we where we we are good here is we're not afraid to learn mm. and absorb knowledge and information. So every time we go through a difficult period, whether it be that pivotal point I'm losing against Derby or whatever, we don't just brush it under the carpet. We say, what, 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 okay, what, what could we have done differently to affect mm. that? Um, so we've taken, again, another season's worth of knowledge and ultimately was frustration because we wanted to get into those playoffs. Yeah. And we didn't. Mm-hmm. How do we improve again? So off the pitch, as I said to you, I think we've made some changes, some staff have left, and th- those are really good people who did a really good job for this football club in the period they were with us, but it's time to evolve. Mm. And if you don't evolve and you don't move forward in this industry quickly, you'll go back. Mm. You 100% you will go back, so you've got to move forward quickly. So again, key appointments, um, off the pitch, refocus off the pitch what have we learned I think we've got stronger mentally as a unit off the pitch um, we've got more de- even more detailed in our planning mm-hmm. and the planning that you'll see if you're in Lee's office we've turned these off I have to turn these off because I've got names which I'll tell you about in a second on the screen <laughs> you keep that remote um, is mirrored okay so absolute detail on and off off the pitch Every left hand knows what the right hand's doing right hand knows what the left yeah. hand's doing and trust me that organisation is huge mm-hmm. when we are we're now becoming a, a bigger football club and we're part of an even bigger group where there's lots of things going on all the time mm-hmm. you've got to be detailed so I think mm-hmm. off the pitch we've got we've got better I think on the pitch I think you've got an emergence of a further emergence of some of the talent we recruited three years ago. Yeah. Brano. Yeah. O'Dowda. Eliasson. Eliasson. Taylor Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden have stepped up. And it's very difficult. It's really difficult at times. And I have to give it to Lee. He's extremely brave in this. One of the most difficult decisions we had was do we or don't we sell Marlon Pack? Okay. okay, so the easy decision to do is to keep Marlon because mm-hmm. there's no pressure from Steve to sell no. anyone. But I have a manager who wants to move us forward. You've got a chief executive who wants to move us forward. So part of the thought process with Marlon, he's been a really good servant to the mm-hmm. football club. Um, and if Marlon's not here, I know a place. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's happened. Yeah. So that is part of the thought process. And the evolution. It, and correct. So it keeps us moving yeah. forward. And I know... There's, yeah. a, there's a football analogy in terms of their playing style. You can apply to that as well, yeah. Yeah. So that was Mark Ashton. And just rounding off the podcast now with the West Brom dispiriting defeat. You watched it last night as well, didn't you, James? And, yeah, for me, as I thought there, there weren't too many positives, obviously, for Bristol City. But... I have to say, going to West Brom, they, for me, and I have written this before, are probably, definitely for me, got the best midfield in the Championship, and they are probably the best team I've seen this season. Leeds were obviously a class above probably Bristol City on the opening day, of course. I think West Brom, for me, got that little bit extra, and it was kind of um, 
sort of signified by the goals they scored. I thought Pereira's impudent chip into the top corner, corner almost from the free kick was just a real touch of class. Dean Garner, is he going to stay beyond January? Because there's rumours he might be recalled by West Ham. He was, he was classed throughout. And that back four, um, in terms of the two central midfielders, Romain Sawyers, uh, Jake Livermore, and then the two centre-backs, Bartley and Ajayi, are both really, really athletic tough guys to get past so you, I, I can completely understand why they are top of the table and I didn't expect much from this game and uh, yeah, maybe a little bit surprised by some fans who seem to have expected a bit bit more from this game but how did you see it? Yeah I mean it, it, it's funny you actually say about Leeds because I think if you look at every team City have played so far this season, I mean I know Luton was horrendous um, but I don't think anyone can say Luton looked a better team than Bristol City on that day. It was just kind of a funny game where they kind of took their chances at the right time. But I think if you look at all City's opponents this season, Leeds and West Brom have just been better than them. And they've just been better than them. And Leeds on the opening day, I think, could be mitigated by the fact it was sort of City were in a halfway house with an old team. And, well, it was an old team, wasn't it? Because it was last season's team with the new players yet to kind of arrive. Um, a phobia and whatnot, and Nadge, but 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 West Brom, like you say, they just looked. There was just this. They they they, they sort of managed to match just absolute kind of brute strength and organisation with just this level of class and how clinical they were. And this was the problem. And every time City lost the ball, lost a man, didn't quite track a runner. It was either a really good chance or it was a goal. And, you know, when you make mistakes and teams score, it does make the mistakes... I know it's an obvious thing to say, but it makes the mistakes seem so much worse when a player loses the ball and it leads to a goal. And perhaps those mistakes kind of inhibited the the team. Because I could see... I know, you know, again, we could probably have a whole podcast on Lee Johnson's changes and how, how he flips between teams, formations, systems from game to game. You know, I, I, I get it and I... You know, I sort of admire it in a way as well. But and I could see what why the team was set up as it was last night because we talk about where West Brom's strengths lie, that core, that kind of deep core between the centre backs and 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 the centre of midfield. And obviously, you had he, he played the three and then brought Casey Palmer in to almost turn and transition then try and release Andy Vyman but Vyman as a as a lone striker I know he likes to play on the shoulder and he could kind of execute a run to get a full of, to get a final pass but the, it just wasn't there and this was the problem the individuals within the system weren't on it I mean that was easily Adam Nadja's worst game I know he hasn't played that many but quite, he was quite he was quite quite clearly yeah not I mean, I don't know if it was because of his second game in four days. I don't know if that came into it after the injury, but he didn't look quite on it. You know, he's all about getting the ball, keeping the ball, moving it forward, getting the ball, keeping the ball, moving it forward, just keeping that continuity. And there was none of that. Josh Browning was a little bit all over the place. Um, you know, it was difficult. Several players, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's not alone in saying that, yeah. in, in, in doing that. And it just kind of the individual pieces in the system all collapsed. And it was just all round. It was difficult when you, like you said, in terms of picking positives, it was difficult to pick out an individual. Great, obviously, Corey Smith got in 90 minutes. Fam came on, did some things. Eliasson came on, did some things. But it was like there wasn't really anything that you could take out of that because it was just almost everything kind of that could have gone wrong did go wrong. And it all went wrong against a very good team. 
Did West Brom influence some of that? Yeah, quite probably, because I think, I mean, if you, you only have to listen to what Slavin Bilic said. I mean, he said that was their he, best performance yeah, of the he, season, didn't he? He was very complimentary, obviously, about his team. He, he was delighted with their performance. But I think part of this, and I've written this today, is that that is a compliment as well to Bristol City, because he recognises that this was a difficult opponent faced, and they've basically they could have scored five, six, seven goals even. Um, I, I just want to ask, did you think the manner of this performance came about because of the manager's tactics, the players, or most likely somewhere in the middle? As is the case, it's probably somewhere in the middle. But I don't think... Well, it, because you can... When you see... When you look at the tactical plan, I think it had merit and you could see, obviously, the method behind it and what... Because ultimately, when you go to these... Ultimately, when you go... Look, look West Brom are a better team, OK? There are a lot, they have lots of very good individuals who would obviously get into Bristol City's team. So you have to almost think, right, you're going to a better team. You have to, you almost have to do things a little bit different sometimes when you're playing a better team to try and disrupt them, to try and get around them, to try and you know outthink Slavin Bilic. And, he, and, 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 and Johnson did do that, but it wasn't executed by the players. So I guess if you're leaning the needle, if you're looking at the blames, maybe a bit strong, but of culpability the needle is slightly towards the players. Now, you could maybe then ask the players why they didn't perform and maybe they would say, well, the tactical instructions were a little bit too complicated, we weren't quite ready, maybe we were a bit tired after Forest. You know, all these things. You know, Andy Vyman's runs weren't, you know, he was... Because that, that's becoming a little bit apparent, I think, that Vyman's making runs and nobody's seeing and people are making passes that Vyman's not seeing. And there, there seems to be a little bit of disconnection in that, in, in that regard. Whereas with Fam. I think when he comes on, there does seem to be a bit more connection between midfield and attack. Um, you know, when yeah. you had that, you know, you know, you had that partnership earlier in the season with Casey Palmer and Afobi. Now I know Afobi's not there, but there's still midfield, midfield and attack seems a little bit disjointed at the moment. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I mean, just bringing this back to the start of the podcast, really for me, I yeah, criticised Lee Johnson because I didn't think his tactics at home. Uh, fits with the philosophy that he wants for the club, his, the identity that he wants from his team. I would like to see him more, more bolder and aggressive with his formation, his team selection. But I actually will defend him because I actually could see what he was trying to do at West Brom. In fact, for that first ten minutes, I thought this is a side built up, to, built to keep the ball and, and frustrate West Brom and maybe get something on, on the counter. And I thought they looked pretty good for the first 10 minutes, but that first goal just always makes such a big Kills difference. Kills it, and then you make mistakes, yeah. and then obviously confidence comes into it. And, you know, players, you know, don't be wrong, they're professional footballers, they're exceptionally good at what they do. You know, they're in the point however many percent of people in the world who are that good at professional football. But they are human beings, and when they make mistakes, it does make them think, oh, next time they get the ball. And, and I just think as the mistakes totted up, the confidence went down and they were playing against such a good side that just, just Absolutely. took advantage. It's, it's rare that we see mistakes from these guys, but there was Adam Nagy, obviously, for the third goal that they conceded, uh, gave the ball away and Matt Phillips then crossed it in for Hal robson Carnu to put in from an offside position, we should say as well. Uh, Brownhill for the first goal, that tame back header, really, that was yeah. intercepted. And then Gibbs obviously scores great back here. I love that from Dean Garner, I have to say. 
say as well. And then Casey Palmer, yes, sloppily giving the ball away on the edge of the area. You just get punished, don't you, by the good teams? It's cliche, but it is the way it was. It was borne out, and yeah, basically you can't have those individual errors in a game like this. Were they unforced, or was it kind of because of the pressure that was coming from the West Brom? I don't think it was necessarily was from West Brom's play. I think it was just a bad night for the Robins. And yeah, maybe Lee Johnson did get a few little things wrong. I'm not too sure what more he could have done, but. Fair enough, we move on. I suppose the only positives really were maybe Corey Smith coming back, playing 90 minutes. What a game to play, 90 minutes as well. Well, It'll be interesting if he he lines up on Saturday as well, because you'd think not, given his lack of football, um, and which kind of makes you think, well, maybe he will go before in the field. Yeah, and unfortunately another negative is that we learnt after the game that Thomas Callas, he was expected to be back really this game, and in fact I thought he was going to play, but... It does seem like he's going to be out for a little bit longer. Lee Johnson, when we asked him, wasn't able to clarify exactly when he would be back, but said between three days or maybe three weeks and left it open-ended. So that's not a good sign, although there is better news on Taylor Moore, who is who basically has had um, good news from the surgeons and and his swelling on the knee isn't anything serious. So that was our thoughts on the game at West Brom. Let's hear what Lee Johnson made of it. Yeah, disappointing is an um, understatement, to be honest. We came here with ambition, if you like, to, to go and take the game to West Brom. And we didn't start. We were we, um, shy on the second ball, if you like, not aggressive enough. One thing you're going to have to do at a place like this is earn the right to play. I take responsibility. I take full responsibility. It's my team. It's my identity. And, uh, and we didn't do enough today, um, individually or as a team or as a staff. So, uh, yeah, I apologise to the fans because they deserve that. You know, they've been absolutely fantastic, um, particularly away from home. And um, I don't think it was lack of effort from the boys today. We were just found wanting in too many areas against, against, albeit a good side, and a lot of credit should go to West Brom. But obviously we look at it from our point of view where we're hurting after a loss. And uh, you have to reflect the result is that we've lost three points um, and and we've taken a a bit of a pride bashing. But it's not final, it's not fatal. I fully believe uh, in the players and the players moving forward. But they've got to show more in in those sort of top six (coughs) games, if you like. And and in one sense, I thought West Brom looked like a a Premier League outfit um, today. And that's a good test for us. And, And we should stand up to that test better than we did today and uh, if we want to go truly where we want to go the players um, of course need to demand more of each other yeah. and even near the end it's threatened to cause a few nerves with that goal but then they scored again I mean frustrating wasn't it? yeah I mean if you, if, you, what, if you sort of wrote down things that could go wrong do you know what I mean and, and particularly when you get up ahead of steam I thought probably sporadically about 20 minutes of our play was up to the standard probably the first 10 minutes after the second half where we camped them in and then probably the lead up to the goal um, and a couple of uh, individual duels we had wide but as a general rule like we were found wanting today and sometimes the championship gives you a punch on the nose and I think we took that punch on the nose today and we have to now create that siege mentality both in the squad but then hopefully the the match day as well on Saturday against Huddersfield and uh, and try and get it out of our system by a big, big effort. 
some of the Sim fans said the last two goals were offside for you. Does it not matter about those or? or? Well, it does, yeah, if they're offside. I mean, I thought, listen, the, the last thing I'm going to do is kill the officials on a game like, like today. Um, even the wall, like the rule, they got the rule wrong. The rule, they're saying it's one yard, it's one metre. And the officials are telling us it's one yard and no, it's one metre. And there's a difference between a yard and a metre. And uh, and the, these are the little things that, like, it blocks the sight of Bentley. It's a fantastic execution of the free kick, don't get me wrong. But if Bentley's not blocked, does he get across? Does he shuffle his feet quicker? Rule was brought in to stop that type of uh, play, but fair play to West Brom. And um, they got away with it through some poor officiating. Do you tell the ball to stay on the ground? Stop the low shot? Well, we did this. He has attempted a few times the one on, under um, under the wall. Um, but at the same time, you should still jump then probably and leave your toes or as close to the ground as possible. Easy to say, but in hindsight, would you maybe change things up from the beginning? Yeah, I take full responsibility, absolutely. It's on me. Like, I have to remove it from the players because, I'll be honest with you, I think I'm always honest in terms of my um, post-match reflections. Obviously, it's emotion as well. But, like I said, I accept responsibility. And I think now the bigger question is the boys that have got a right, if you like, to knock on the door. You know, the likes of a licence. Previously, it's whatever it is, one in 16 losses to this game. Um, and then and a licence been unlucky. So, good example, if I was Nicholas Elison, the first thing I'd be doing is knocking on my door tomorrow morning saying, give me a start gaffer. How's uh, Callum doing? <coughs> Dead leg. Dead leg, yeah. So, uh, was Roe being rested tonight? Was that the idea? Well, the idea was to, to be able to exploit the left side where they pressed narrow um, to be able to get the ball to O'Dowler and have a natural winger and try and attack. But there's too many, too many individuals didn't start, if you like, um, with enough <coughs> quality sometimes. You know? And that, that's the bit that I've got to process why. Um, is that a tactical reason? Is that a, a, a game state reason? Um, or is it just that they're not good enough? Did you make a Corey's return? I thought it was good. I thought, to be fair, I thought Corey and Ash gave us like a little bit of leadership and bends today um, down that spine. And and look, the boys tried it. I bet the running statistics, because West Brom were a good side, are probably up there with the highest we've had. Probably. But there was emotional decisions being made. And then the domino effect of those poor emotional decisions being made left us and added in West Brom's quality left us stretched and that's why West Brom like we could have had probably two or three but they could have had six or seven difficult to pick up the lads for the weekend or? Um, I've got to pick myself up first <laughs> now of course listen that's my job I've got total belief in this group of players for where we are in terms of like we don't have parachute payments you know we don't have one of the huge biggest wage bills in the division but we've got good recruitment we've got good players um, yes, we're missing a couple of good players, but like I say, we doubled up. Said it before the game, we double up in 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 almost every area. So um, I believe in the boys' qualities. I believe in the blend, uh, and that doesn't change. That doesn't change, and uh, I'll be fighting like all of them on Saturday to try and uh, turn around what was a poor result today. Just finally, Carson more far away. Or 
Uh, Taylor Moore's close, yeah. Taylor Moore's not a million miles away. Um, had a bit of swelling on the knee, but it was good news from the surgeon. Callas is difficult to say at the moment, uh, be, be honest with you. It could be one of them, it's three days or it could be three weeks, I'm not sure. Just to round off the pod, James, let's tackle Huddersfield. The Terriers are in town at the weekend and is this must win? Yeah, well, it's, it's must win, I, I guess it's must perform. Um, and I think if there's a win, you would think if they deliver a level of performance, say an 8 out of 10 performance, that would lead to a win. Huddersfield had that great surge when the Cowley brothers come in. They've dropped off the last couple of games. I think they'll be looking at this fixture as a, as a really tough encounter for them. But I think it's a massive test of now of what City can do at home because the microscope really is on. You know, as we keep talking about why they just cannot dominate teams at home. Well, sorry, they do dominate teams to a point, but can't dominate in a goal scoring, pressure, um, making team make make other teams make mistakes. Do you know what I mean? Because when you put that pressure on teams, you make them into mistakes. And they were doing it at the start of the season when you think about was the yeah, QPR game when you know Andy Vyman nicks it off the keeper. You know, these sort of things, this is what you've got to be doing to teams when they come to Ashton Gate, those, those pressings. And I also wonder with Wyman, just to go back to it, is he getting a bit knackered? Because, you know, he's literally, he's running a mile every game. All his runs, all Vyman's runs as well, yeah. are just full-on sprints. Mm. He's never one to sort of jog in between players, just bombing on all the time. And you do wonder about his kind of energy levels, three fixtures in a week, we'll see. Mm. But I think what Huddersfield, yes, I think... I think I think it's easy to kind of get into this hammer the team, hammer the system, hammer the selection, all this kind of stuff. But I still think City are in a good place. Um, you know, there's some excellent players there. The, the performance is OK, but perhaps haven't been at the level that they were, let's say, around September-ish, early October. Um, there has been a little bit of a drop-off, sort of Barnsley and on. But, you know, there's still only three defeats. Sorry, yeah, three, three defeats. defeats. And yeah, that's worth a mention is that that was only their second defeat in the last 17 games. So that is a phenomenal run, really. I think perspective is needed. They are seventh in the league. We've, we're seeing this at the moment solidifying of the championship, aren't we? The top two do look a class Yeah, they apart. do. They do. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see if anyone like Fulham can. Well, that's win. the interesting one, isn't it? Because mm. this is why Huddersfield becomes important because then you go into Fulham next week, who you'd probably say, although they haven't started the season, but they are picking up now. You'd probably have said Leeds and Fulham were the two outstanding teams at the start of the season. You'd have been thinking about West Brom as well, who've now joined. So if you're talking about them as the three big sides of the championship, if nothing is kind of taken from Huddersfield, to then have to go to Fulham and get something will be difficult. Yeah, one defeat in the last six games for Bristol City is the reality. But at the same time, a lot of draws. They've got. They're now, I think, drawn the most games in the league with equal with somebody else who I can't remember offhand. But yeah, so they need to get these wins, don't they? From what I know of the team, I'm expecting a reaction this weekend, and I, I'm fairly certain we will see that against the Terriers. So yeah, fingers crossed. James, thank you very much for joining Thanks, me, and we will see you next week with part two of our Mark Ashton exclusive interview and a lot more. Robins on the Wire.